Hello and welcome to the Mixtape Podcast. I am your host, Dean Stark, and I am joined by how should I how how shall I describe you today? <laughs> no, I'm I'm um, I'm joined by my co-host Marcel Innestrosa, and today on the Mixtape Podcast, where we review movies, I hope you know that. Like, I hope I hope you know that we review movies because, like, unless this is your first time listening, because you're a good you're a Scream fan, but um, we review movies. And today we we are reviewing Scream Two, 1997 Scream Two. The screenplay is by one of my and Marcelo's favorite screenwriters, Kevin Williamson, and it is directed by the horror god Wes Craven. So this is interesting to me because. You keep picking horror sequels. You picked Final Destination 2 and you've picked Scream 2. Scream 2, I don't know why, I can't explain it. It is my favourite in the franchise. I Maybe I have some emotional attachment to it. I don't know. I love all the Scream movies. Bar five. <laughs> but I love, I love the first four. Um, but I, I have this emotional attachment with Scream 2. Do you have the same emotional attachment? Is that why you picked it? Or is it just like, like random? No, actually, it's not random at all because I remember when I well, just just a little just a little sidebar here. Uh, Kevin Williamson is the entire reason that I became a screenplay writer in the first place. So he is like my, you know, Jesus basically. Although I do call him out uh, when he does stupid shit. Anyway, um, Scream Two to me is, I mean, I love the original Scream, but Scream Two to me really doubled down on everything that Scream 1 was and just made it so much better. And there's something about the milieu of the film that I absolutely love. All the characters are better. All the characters change and they grow and they and they and they become more complex and also I think the dialogue is a lot better than it than it is in the original Scream. I mean, don't shoot me, but that's what I think. And uh I, I, I just love this damn movie for some reason. I don't know why. I love it too. This movie gets me because it has one. It has a scene in it that's my least favorite scene in all the franchises. And it has my two scenes that are my two favorite scenes in the whole franchise. So it's, it's, a, it's a big one. <laughs> it's a big one. But let's continue on. So uh, the premise of Scream 2, if you haven't seen it. Why are you here if you haven't seen it? Anyway, two years after the first series of murders, as Sydney Prescott acclimates to college life, someone donning the ghost face costume begins a new string of killings. So the opening scene, uh, I saw this in the movies. And so the opening scene, I really got a kick out of. We're at a movie theater. It's the premiere of Stab. So Stab is a movie within a movie. So Stab is based on the Woodsboro murders by Gail Weathers that she wrote uh, from the first, so it's based on the first movie. I, I I don't know. I love what Kevin did here, movie within a movie. So it's a, I think it's the premiere of Stab. And <laughs> I don't know. So we've got the, we've got the two um, uh, moviegoers played by Jada Pinkett-Smith and Omar Epps, who uh, I love both of them. And they, they're having this, funny conversation and she's like I don't like scary movies let's go see Sandra Bullock down the street um her movie's playing and Omar Epps is like no no let's go see Scream you know it'll be good and she's just like not into it at all but she kind of just goes all right all right all right they enter the cinema and they get a costume when they enter 
And so when they go into the cinema, all most of the moviegoers are dressed uh, like Ghostface and they're running up and down the aisles and they're throwing popcorn everywhere. And listen, that is my worst nightmare. Fuck that. No, if I'm going to the movie, I want a nice, pristine, calming experience. I don't want to be like anxiety riddled. And I feel like if I was there, I'd be like, nope. Turn around and fucking let's go down the street and watch Sandra Bullock. I would, I could not put up with this shit. So anyway, I also love this. We see the movie start and it says based on the Woodsboro murders, but it's got, <laughs> it's got a recreation of the opening scene in Scream with Drew Barrymore, except Drew Barrymore is now played by Heather Graham. Heather Graham is actually a really good actress, except in this movie, I'm I'm pretty sure Wes told her. Oh, no, sorry, not Wes, because, spoiler alert, all the stab scenes were directed by Robert Rodriguez. So Robert Rodriguez probably just told her, um, act as shitty as possible, because her acting in that movie is so bad, but I think it's bad on purpose. Like, it's supposed to be um, campy and, and, and all that stuff, and... Um, I love Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, what she says here, she's watching her and Heather Graham's getting in the shower. She drops her robe and you see her from behind. And J- Jada's like, why she got to be naked? What does that have to do with the plot of the story of her being naked? Man, I'm with you. I'm fucking with you. It has nothing to do with anything because that, I don't think that even happened. No, that didn't even happen in Scream. But I just, the dialogue between Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps um, in this scene is just, it's it's he's just given her such funny dialogue and then Omar Epps goes to the bar he's like I gotta go to the bathroom he goes to the bathroom and he goes to the trough and there's two dudes there in ghost face like costumes and then he's like all right so he goes into one of the stalls and this scene always like perplexed me because he hears like mumbling coming from the stall um next to him and he puts his ear up and um a knife comes through through the stall and stabs him in the ear um I always thought that was pretty convenient. Like that was that was pretty accurate. Like if you're on the other side of the store, like you don't know where someone is unless I guess you're look I don't know. You'd have to have pretty you'd have to be pretty fucking precise to stab someone. But anyway, I love this movie. It's not a thing. <laughs> so anyway, Jada Pinkett Smith is sitting in there and <laughs> sitting in the cinema. Oh my god. I because I do this and Marcella knows I do this, right? You sit there and you go, no, no, go that way. Go that way. No, what do you do? Oh my God, that's so stupid. Go, like, you're like yelling at the character on the screen (laughs) to like do the smart thing and they never do it. So I really, really connected with um, Jada Pickett Smith's character. I don't even know what her fucking name is. I don't know if she has a name. But anyway, a man wearing um, Omar's coat and a ghost face mask sits down next to her and she thinks it's her boyfriend. Um, and then she sees blood all over his jacket and she's like, uh, what? And then he stabs her. And because everybody's running around, they've all got ghost face masks on. They are, they don't notice that he keeps stabbing her and she tries to get away and he's just stabbing her in the aisle, but everything's like anarchy. And then it's like literally one of my favorite death scenes ever where Jada Pinkett Smith gets up on the stage and everybody goes like everything just goes silent. And then she just does this like blood curdling, like yell falls to her knees and then boom she's dead and then that's the opening scene i love it 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 what say you yeah the opening sequence of this movie is fucking fantastic first of all you mentioned that omar epps and jada pickett smith go go to a to go to a basically a midnight premiere of the movie within the movie 
of uh, of of the original stab film and the thing that i like about this is that i like you when i go to the movies i want a serene atmosphere i want a calm atmosphere but with that being said i still did li- i i still do like the midnight madness sort of deal so i love going into a a movie theater and then experience experiencing something with the audience so when jada pinkett smith and omar epps went into the auditorium to see the first app film and and you saw all the crazy teenagers in there with the costumes and the knives i was like this is just great because that re- that reminded me of the days when i would go to the movie theaters at like at like 12 midnight to see a horror film or to see uh, the latest Twilight movie. As a matter of fact, um, my first ever midnight premiere was uh, Twilight New Moon. And uh, funny story, just a quick aside. Um, <clears throat> in the climax of that film, uh, with about like 10 minutes left to go in the film, the print stopped in the middle of like a of like an action sequence. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and the entire feeder basically revolted and started yelling, mm. and it, and it took the feeder like twenty minutes to put uh, to 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 fix the print of the film. Uh, so you know, funny aside there. But I also the, the the thing that I also love about this scene is the social commentary that Jada Pinkett Smith is going on while they're about to enter the feeder, and the thing that she says that I find really funny is she goes. She she basically goes, so why so so why aren't there any black people in this movie? Like like why are they all white people? <laughs> and as I was watching this today, I was like, is uh is Jada Pinkett Smith like what like thirty years too early for the for the um for the for you know the politically correct campaign that's going through Hollywood right now? <laughs> <laughs> I like, she yeah, like, like it. <laughs> yeah it's like so i'm like yeah but i i just i just found that to be so interesting and then you know they they walk up to the ticket booth and then oh and then omar epps goes and he goes can we have uh you know can, can we just have two black tickets with a black cast with a with a with you know with black clothes with you know black ips so the the way that kevin wrote that little barb and that little you know satire commentary on you know uh that there aren't enough black people in horror movies i thought was Mm. really fascinating um the the scene when omar epps goes to the bathroom and he walks into the bathroom and he sees the two guys uh, the, the the two guys with the ghost face mask in front of the urinals was funny because he just stood there and they were like they just turned their heads going what do you want, man? <laughs> and then, and then Omar Epps goes into one of the stalls, and then he hears something from the stall, and like you said, he puts up his ear, and then uh, the Ghostface Killer basically stabs him through the opposite stall, you know, uh, fucking his ear up, which I thought was great. Um, the final sequence when Jada Pinkett Smith gets stabbed, and she, you know, goes up to the stage near death, and she gives that curdling scream was amazing it was a great way to start um a sequel to it was a great way to start out the sequel to my favorite horror franchise of all time it was really really amazing it was it was, a, it was a amazing opening to a great film you have a ghost face mask don't you yeah i have two yeah, so you've put it on because I have one too. They are really difficult to breathe in. So listen, I'm yeah, telling you, are. like I would not be having them on in the bathroom. I'd be taking it off, going, "Fuck, I can't breathe." <laughs> Fuck. 
<laughs> yep. Yeah. 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 But uh, yeah. Yeah. Guys. Guys. She's right. Uh, if I mean, I actually dressed up as Ghostface um, for Me one too. Halloween. Uh, uh, like, uh, what's four, five years ago? Unfortunately, I don't have any pictures, but I did. Um, yeah, they're they're really hard to breathe in. So, mm. yeah, um, I'd be, I'd be, yeah. Like within two yeah. seconds, it's like fuck, because there's no. Like where the mouth is, it's plastic. There's no ventilation at all. So yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, maybe for like filming and props wise, they would have done. A, they wouldn't have had that. But like for the masks that we can just buy in like the two dollar stores, they're hard to breathe in. Anyway, moving on. Uh, now after that lovely, lovely opening scene that Kevin wrote, we're with Sydney. We're in her dorm room. She's at college, and she gets a phone call. And the phone call's like, hello, Sydney. You know, and uh, she's like, uh, what? And now she has caller ID. So she's basically like, oh, this is blah, 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 blah. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> and he's like, I hope you enjoyed the movie. So it's like, all right, she's got caller ID now. So it's going to be difficult. Kevin kind of set it up like, okay, it's going to be difficult for him to call her directly because now she has caller ID. But what he does is just like, obviously, in Kevin fashion, brilliant. Uh, we get introduced to her roommate, Hallie, which is a black person. There you go, Jada. There's your black person, um, who I love. I, I love this character. Um, I've never seen her in anything else as actress, but I really, really liked her her character. And it seemed like Sydney and Hallie were quite close. Sorry, have you seen her in something? Uh, no, I just wanted to say she is a revelation throughout this whole film. She's just she's so wonderful. But this is all I wanted to say. Sorry. Yeah, no, she's great. So anyway, um, she turns on the TV and Cotton Weary is on the TV saying he has been exonerated for killing Sydney's mum because, just to rewind, um, Sydney accused him of killing her mum. But what we know now from the first movie is that it was a Billy and Stu that killed killed um, Sydney's mum. So he was exonerated. He's on TV. Um, I don't know if you, uh, you probably, this is not in my trivia, but when you see him being interviewed, uh, Kevin Williamson is actually the interviewer, although you only see him from behind. Um, so anyway, he's on the TV and she's just looking at it and it's good exposition. It's exposition that we need. So it's like, well, maybe when people are wondering where's Cotton, this is where he is. He's exonerated. He's on TV. He's famous now. So I really liked how he kind of did that. Um, and then the news channel, um, actually I have to bring it up, although it's a bit of a non-issue, but I think, I feel like I want to bring it up because it's what you and I always like chuckle about. They, she go, okay. So the, the cotton worry thing is on the TV and then her and Hallie, they're in the hallway. And then this girl comes out to them. She goes, check out the news. <laughs> right. And then they go back into their dorm room and turn on the news where they hear about the two college students, which is Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Apps, that have been killed. And I know that we always discuss this because we think, what a stupid scene. Why didn't, why did, like, do you not, know like, it was pointless? Unless there was a scene there that was cut, it just felt like, why didn't they just leave them in the room? What was the point of that girl? Because that girl, I'm telling you, that's her fucking claim to fame. Check out the news. That's her claim to fame, that one. But yeah, but anyway, anyway that's the that's the no, that's I, the thing. Go for it. No, um, I just want to I, I just want to add on to what you said there. Mm. Like if Ke- like 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 if Kevin wanted to have that girl have a claim to fame with her saying, "Check out the news," he could have kept Sydney and her friend in the room and had the girl come into their dorm and say that. But if he did oh, that. Yeah. If he did that, her line wouldn't have made any sense because if they stayed in the room, they would have already been watching the news. 
So he yeah. so so he needed he needed to get them out of the room. But then again, I mm. but then again, I bet you that girl was like the family member of some producer. I'm not saying that, <laughs> I, Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, I'm not saying that I'm I'm not saying the evil demonic <laughs> Harvey Weinstein, but yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. you know, you know, but maybe another producer who just who she you know, she 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 yeah, probably yeah, wanted yeah. to be she probably wanted to be like an expiring actress and this producer says, "You know what? We have this one character that says one line, why don't you do it?" So I guess yeah. that's what it could have been. Yeah, you're right. no, yeah, yeah. There's no point. Like, look, listen. The way that I would have done it is, she's watching the interview with Cotton. She can't stand the guy, even though he's innocent. She, uh, what if she just goes, "Oh God," and then ch- turns the channel onto the news? Yeah, that yeah, that could have worked. That could work. That could have worked just fine. But the other, yeah, the, but but the other thing is that it, yeah, it just didn't. It just didn't make sense, and it it didn't fit. Like like but it's like funny. as a, yeah, it it's funny. But as a screenplay writer, everything that you put into your scene has to have purpose and everything has to yeah. lead into something else. You can't just put shit in there just to push shit in there. I mean, you can, but when you do that, do it to, you know, tongue in cheek or or to or to or to give yeah. the audience some member berries if you want. So um, moving on, we are with Randy in film class now. This is a really cool scene because it introduces Cece, which is played by the wonderful Sarah Michelle Gellar, aka Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and it introduces Mickey, which is another character, which I won't spoil it if you haven't seen it. So it introduces those two characters. Joshua Jackson is also in there, but he's not actually a character. Like, in the movie, he's just there. Um, There's some funny banter back and forth discussing, like, you know, movie sequels and are all sequels rubbish, which I thought was quite funny because we are watching a sequel. So I thought Kevin was really kind of on the money with that one. But this is what I want to ask you. They mentioned movies like T2, Terminator 2, Aliens, Godfather Part 2, where the sequels actually surpass the the original. Now, for you, are there any sequels other than Scream 2 that actually surpass the original? I quite like. Mm. I do have a few. Do you want me to say mine and then it'll give you time to think? Yeah, can you, yeah. Can you do that? Okay. So, um, I research. If you had asked me off the cuff, I would have stood there and be like, oh, I don't know. But I wrote down a few because <laughs> I did some research. So, movies that uh, sequels that surpass the original. Adam's Family Values, because that's the one where they go to the camp. <laughs> And that's the one where um, the um, Debbie comes into it. Joan Cusack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like that's better. Um, Home Alone 2, I felt was better than the first. Batman Returns, I feel like was far superior than the original Batman. And also, I don't know if this is going to be like controversial, but I thought Top Gun Maverick was far superior than the original Top Gun. So those are the I- sequels where I feel like they were better than the original movie. I de- you know I I'm I'm definitely with you on uh, Top Gun Maverick because look I love the original Top Gun I grew up with the original Top Gun but just a quick aside here sorry guys that we're kind of moving aside for several things but uh, Top Gun Ma- Top Gun Maverick basically kicked the ass out of the original film because what that film did was just outstanding I guess like um, crap now I can't think yeah it's Shit. hard. Oh my god, now I okay, so I really like 
aliens more than alien. Mm, although, mm-hmm. although I quite like when, when it comes to when it comes to the original alien film, I like the director's cut more than the theatrical version. I I really really like uh, Superman two the uh, the director's mm-hmm. cut the Richard Donner version, mm-hmm. and yeah I um I I I had a few more but right now I'm I'm think my, about my it it'll come to you it'll come racking. to you I'll, just just, I'll just interrupt me when it when it when it when it comes to you yeah look I loved Aliens I liked Alien better um mm-hmm. just because it was I don't know more suspenseful like although aliens and the aliens was more action-packed alien was more like you know smooth sailing anyway let's get back to it so sydney pulls kind of randy finishes class and she tells him about the killings and he just doesn't want to know about he's like it's not our problem it's nothing to do with us i don't want to go back there mentally like i just can't do it um and then we get an introduction to derek which is sydney's boyfriend played by jerry o'connell I have always had an issue with him. I always, every time I see him, I always thought he was miscast. I don't know why they cast him. He just, usually casting I'm down with, but there are some times where you just look at an actor and you're like, this is not the right part for you. Like, I don't, I don't know. Do you feel that? Or do you kind of, do you like his character? Do you like, not the character, him playing that? Or do you think another actor could have done better? Here's the thing with Jerry O'Connell. I the the first time I saw Jerry O'Connell was in this TV show called uh, uh, Crossing Jordan. So by the time that I saw Scream Two, I was already used to Jerry O'Connell. But if I had to take this from a standpoint of a character, I would have to say that the only reason that he was cast was uh, because Kevin and Wes wanted to wanted to spin the suspicion wheel as to if he was the killer, if he was the main killer in the film, because his character. Is really bland. Like I, I yeah. I I mean, I'm I'm not gonna say I don't care, but I'm gonna say I don't mind, if that makes any sense. Look, I don't mind him. I just I I feel like another actor um would have fit better than him. Not better acting because I think Jerry O'Connor's a great actor. I just I don't I don't know. You know what I'm like with like I don't yes, want to look I, at certain people's faces. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, yeah, guys. I just like no. <laughs> guys, guys. Uh, Dean here. When when it comes to people that she can't stand or she or she doesn't like, she is a savage. So she's not lying. <laughs> no. Some actors, I'm just I will refuse to watch their movies because I'm like I don't like their face. I can't sit there for two hours looking at that face. I just whether it whether they're good looking or not, it doesn't matter. If I don't like a face, I don't want to look at it for two hours. Anyway, so after the introduction of Derek, we go to the introduction. That's not really introduction. It's like reintroduction of Gail Weathers, and Gail is just being Gail. I mean, I don't. This literally what I wrote: Gail being Gail. She's bitchy. I love her. She's probably after Sydney my favorite character because she just says what she says. She doesn't give a shit. And then we meet a character called Debbie Salt, who seems to be a huge fan of Gail's. And basically, Gail just cannot, like, just, like, go away, go away, get away from me, like, as as a celebrity would, if you've got, like, fans pouring all over you all the time, you just, you, you would, literally, you would get fed up with it. Because from Gail's perspective, before she wrote the book, nobody knew who she was. She was up and coming. Now no, she the- wrote the book... Everybody knows who she is and everybody wants a piece of her. And, like, I would get pissed off too. No, but you know what? I disagree with that. I really, really disagree with that. Because at the time of Scream 1, didn't Gail have, like, a syndicated talk show? No. I 
Did Are you she? sure? No. I'm, she did. Listen, don't fucking quote me. No, no, no. Not what the Gail Weathers show. No, I'm sure she yeah. wasn't. Okay, okay. No, no, because... But, I mean, oh, my I, God. I, should I Google that right now? I want to... Just, no, just, just okay. because, like, I don't know. I okay. feel like that's not a thing. Okay, okay. Okay, hold on, hold on one second. Now, I, now I'm acknowledging that I could be wrong. I, 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 I mean, I, I'm putting that out right now, but I just want to go back to the original screen for just a second because there is that scene when Dewey and Gail are are talking, and, and and Dewey says that you know, just so you know, I'm popular with the ages of uh, of of oh, twenty yeah. to twenty five. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and, you know, and Dewey says I was 24 for a whole year. Right. Yeah. 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 So I'm like, yeah, but I don't I, I don't know. You could check that if you want. But I but I don't know. I, I, I think that she had a show. I just think that I just think that the original murders sort of propelled her into a into a level of stardom that she wasn't really ready for. Yeah, like I'm looking it up now. I don't know. Like I can't find I don't think she had it. I think she was just a journalist. I don't know. I mean, yeah, I, could I, be I don't wrong. think she I'm, had a show. I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong. I mean, probably. <laughs> Your track yeah. record for being right is not not great. Yes, I don't think she had I a show. I am wrong all the time. Oh, my God. This this is like five minutes of, of us going, <laughs> did she have a show? <laughs> this, Scream is your favorite movie. Like, how do you how do you not know this? Um, she, no, yeah, yeah, dude. I'm sure she, she did. Didn't. She did. No, she did. Because, listen. Uh, you know what? I, you know, I'm going to keep this in. I'm not going to take it out. <laughs> so, so, so check this out. Uh, in Scream 4, right? Uh, Sydney's publicist, her, her book publicist, when she first meets Gail on the street outside of the bookstore, she goes, yeah. oh my God, oh my God, Gail Weathers, you wore my 90s, right? And she, and she mentions her TV show. Yeah, because, because, yeah, after that, she had a TV show because she wrote the book and she became famous. Not at not when Scream was on. All right, all right, all right, all right. We should we should we we should move on because this is gonna this is gonna drop both. Look, of the I don't know. Look, I could be wrong. You could be. I actually don't know. Like I yeah, I, I don't I, think so, but I don't know. I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And guys, guys, I apologize because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nobody nobody wants to hear this discussion when we were supposed to be talking about Scream Two. But oh my god, everybody go. wants to hear this discussion. Oh my god, are you kidding me? <laughs> everybody likes Gail. Come on. Gail is yeah, like one I, of the best characters. I love Gail. I love Gail. I love See, Gail. and people want to listen to us fucking talk about her and discuss who, like, what her job is, really, <laughs> in the first movie. <laughs> anyway, moving on from Gail being awesome Gail. So she tells Debbie Salt, fuck off. I don't even, I can't even deal with you right now, basically. So uh, we are with uh, Sydney, Derek, Hallie, which is her roommate, Randy and Mickey from film class. And the Delta Landers come up, which is like a sorority sisters, which play. Uh, it's, it's played by. That's exactly how Jerry O'Connell says it. Delta Landers. <laughs> uh, one of them. One of them is played by Rebecca Gayhart, and the other one is played by Portia de Rossi. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, and me, go for it. Go for it. Go for it. <laughs> give, me, give me one second. I mean, okay, listen, l- listen. I know you're gonna get to it, but you can get to it, and then you can say a piece. But I just have to say this. Go, go. So when you know, you know, you know, when when all our principal characters are together and they're confronted by the sorority sisters after they say their spiel, 
uh, Sydney's boyfriend, uh, Derek, uh, Derek, right? He goes, he goes, so if you make it into the sorority, are you going to dress like that? Mm-hmm. And then Mickey, and then Mickey goes, he, he says the name of the sorority. And then he goes, you know, th- those, th- those girls are such a piece of <laughs> every, every time he says that I, I lose my mind. I, I just laugh so hard when he says those girls are such a fuck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, but on you go. I just love that moment. But basically, they're idiots. Um, yeah. And they basically, but they they serve a purpose, which is they're they asking Sydney to go to a party tonight, and she's like, oh, she doesn't want to go. But Hallie is a part of the sorority, so Hallie kind of drags her in a later scene. Um, and then no, Sydney, Hallie, yeah. ha- I'm 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 sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Hallie is a pledge, so Hallie oh, wants pledge, to be. Yeah, Hallie wants to become a member of the sorority. But here's oh, right, the thing. Right, right. The two, the two queen, the the two queen bimbos, they don't want Hallie. They want Sydney. So yeah, that's why yeah. they're sort of tolerating Hallie because yeah, yeah. because they want because they want to jump over Hallie and they want to get yeah. to Sydney. That's what they yeah. really want. Yeah. So Sydney spots Dewey, and he basically tells her to be safe because he's heard about the killings. He's come to her. He's been like, you know, I I I I I feel like I, he needs to. He wants to protect her basically. Um, and she's, I don't know, Sydney kind of at this point, she doesn't really know what to think because there's only been two killings. Is it to do with her? Is it not to do with her? Like, she doesn't really know. But Dewey seems, like, um, cautious about it. And so Gail, being Gail, she goes up to Sydney and she's got a camera in her face and she's like, hey, so Sydney, um, tell me. And then she, like, brings Cotton Weary in. And this is, like, a big fucking no-no. And Sydney's like, what the fuck are you doing? Like what? Like Gail has not asked her permission or anything. This is what I mean. Gail being fucking Gail, um, and then you know, um, Sydney locks her out, punches her. Oh, shit. <laughs> and then I love no, but I love when she punches her. And Hallie's like, "Did you get that?" <laughs> and Joel, the cameraman's like, "Yes, I got that." <laughs> I love that scene. Do you like that scene? Tell me, tell me. Yeah, um, that scene was just typically Gail, like you mentioned, because Gail, Gail, for some reason, although she went through the traumatic events of Scream 1, you would think that after a person goes through that dramatic event and has a connection with someone the way that she did with Sydney, uh, Randy, and Dewey, that that person would understand and that person would be able to level with them a little bit more. But Gail, at this point in her character's journey... Gil is still an opportunist and all she wants to do is get the story and get the scoop so she can get a better job or she can get this. She doesn't, she doesn't really start to change until later on in the series. And I find that very, very interesting. Also, if I just could just, just add on to something that you said there, when Gil thrusts the camera in her face and she reveals cotton weary, uh, Sydney does not punch her out. She basically Bitch slaps her, and um, she she doesn't physically punch her like in the first movie. She punches her. No, that well, well, she doesn't oh slap God. her. She punches her. Okay, all right, all right. Okay, she punches. Her. Did you? Okay, be honest. Did yes. you watch this movie in preparation? <laughs> of course I did. What are you talking about? <laughs> oh my God! I'm gonna go <laughs> back, and I'm gonna because now I'm question. Now you got me questioning. Now I'm like fuck. Did she punch her? <laughs> so now I'm going no, go, to go back and be like, lit, 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 lit. Oh, I, I need to, I need to have. Actually, I could just YouTube it. I'm going to YouTube it. YouTube now. it right now. Oh my god! Yes, I am going to YouTube it. I, I think, 
I think I have seen. Hang on. Say something. Talk. Talk about movies or something. Yeah. Don't, so don't so just I mean you know you know I just I I, I just want to mention to you people while 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 my lovely co-host is trying to prove me wrong again. <laughs> I <laughs> I I am a pro, I am a professional. I, I got I, it. I got it. Okay. Oh, oh, okay, okay, okay. She backhands her. Yes, so she win. back. Wait, wait, wait. She back, but with her fist, she backhands oh. her, and Gail and Gail falls to the ground. That's what yeah, happened. But yeah, but she well, backhands well, her. Okay, okay, okay. Well, that's half a win then. Okay, that's half a win for me and half a win for you because it wasn't. Right. It was a punch, but it was a back punch. It wasn't a All front right. punch. Okay, okay. But before we move on, I just want to say that I could probably talk about this movie without having watched it today because i, I know, know this movie yeah i could i, I could probably I talk about this movie in my too. sleep at this point yeah me too <laughs> me too uh, i really like the next scene the next scene is a dewey and a gale i love the dewey and gale scenes because you can mm. see there was a fallout from the first movie you see there's something's going on but you also see that they really do like each other and he tries he tries really hard to like throw insults at her but she knows that he's not that's not him and he's only doing it because he's hurt and i that was never said but it comes through in their performances and it's a really really cute scene because like he kind of smiles and she kind of smiles and he's like oh but you're i you're this and and you're that and she's she's just like "Mm, well i know i know you don't really think that like i don't know what do you think about that scene i really like that scene yeah, I yeah, I love the first time that Gail and, and and Dwight are reunited in this film because I love screen guys, but I hate the fact that every that, that everybody in the film calls him Dewey because I fucking hate that because that's a pet name. His name is Dwight, people, not Dewey. His name is Dwight, not Dewey. Get it right. Um sorry. Uh, Literally yeah, nobody I, ever in the franchise calls him Dwight. Nobody. I know, I I know, I know. I you know. just want to be different. You just want to be different. Be, you just want to be different. That's all you want to do. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, continue what you were saying. Okay, so all right, okay, so so I love the first scene between Gail and Dewey. Are you happy now? Because, like you said, there is an implied history between the two of them, and I think it's just great. Their chemistry really really uh, 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 comes off of the scream. And the way that Dewey recites uh, uh, excerpts from her novel, and specifically when she was talking about him, I mean, you could see how, how his how his angry bravado was trying to get a rise out of her. But like you said, she knew that him being hurtful isn't, isn't truly in his nature. So I just love that setup. I really, really do. And I love how angry David Arquette got when, when he read a specific excerpt of the book and see, and, and he said, how do you, how do you know that my boyish charm wasn't a misdirection to 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 basically show how 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 good of a, how good of a police officer I actually am. So I really I really love that first scene and also that first scene does indicate that they're going to get romantic at some point. So I I just I just love that scene and mm-hmm. for the continuity police out there, I love that Kevin kept continuity correct at least for this movie when he gave dewey uh, a limp because of mm. him being stabbed in the original film oh what a, i had a thought about that scene oh 
when when he was talking about excerpts from her book and he's like Deputy Dewey oozed with inexperience. That's, <laughs> and, then it, the, that's it. and then at the end of the scene he's like, I'm gonna go ooze now. I've got some oozing <laughs> to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he that goes so smart. Yeah, but he he also goes, just one more thing. I love the streaks. Oh yes, yeah. So it so it kind of shows he does like her. There's no malicious there, malicious intent there. Um, they're just the, they're just really cute together in this movie, I think. So the next scene is really really short. It's Sydney and Hallie arriving at the Delta Lambdas party, um, and then the next scene we're with Cece, which is Sarah Michelle Geller. She's at her sorority house by um, alone. She's the designated um, driver in case any sober of her sister. Drunk, sober sister. Uh, in case any of her sisters uh, need a ride, the phone rings. She answers it. She thinks it's someone called Ted. She thinks he's drunk. It's not. It's Ghostface. Um, but she obviously she doesn't realize it. But we do. We know it's Ghostface because we know the tone of the voice that Ghostface um, talks in. There is a wonderful, wonderful shot that Wes uses. And um, Cece, Sarah Michelle Geller is on the phone. She's trying to work out who the fuck this is. So she goes out the front door and... She can't find anyone. She goes back in and, and she bumps into one of her sorority sisters. That, that not, that's not supposed to be there. She's like, what are you doing here? She's like, no, no, I'm going. I just need to get changed. And they're talking. And Wes has this shot where you can see the front door behind them and you can see Ghostface slip in behind them. And love I, I, love, I love it because you know me. I love it when the audience knows something that the characters don't. So when her friend leaves, she sets the alarm. And you're like, oh no! She like locks everything. You're like, oh no! <laughs> this isn't gonna go. This isn't go, gonna end well. Um. Uh, so anyway, uh, Ghostface comes out, tries to kill her. She runs upstairs, and he throws her off the balcony. She dies. That's it. End of scene. Yeah, I mean, look, look. When uh, uh with this really short scene with CC, I thought it was really, really cool. Uh, a couple, a couple harm, a couple. A high point of the scene for me is when Sarah answers the phone in the hallway just before Ghostface comes in and starts to chase her. The phone that she answers, the, the phone that she picks up in the hallway is a see-through phone, right? That we, you know, you can see all the internals within the phone. And I had that phone in high school. So that's always been... um you know, you know, um, uh, a, a nice little touchdown for me. But also, once we see Ghostface enter the house when when Cece is talking to her friend, at that point, I'm like, God damn it, Cece. Why didn't you, if you were so fucking scared, why didn't you leave the house with your friend? If she would have left the house with a friend, she would have possibly stayed alive. But she just had to stay there. She just had to stay there. But I do actually like when you know you know when cc is thrown off the balcony because it's quick it's violent and it's shocking too because look when uh um if you were if you were lucky enough to see this movie when it originally came out uh cc uh, aka sarah michelle geller was was doing buffy at the time and to see buffy for lack of a better word in that predicament and not kick Ghostface in the fucking face and not stake him was very, very shocking. But I understand that Sarah was playing a different character, but it was just shocking to me because I got used to her. I got used to seeing Sarah as Buffy and not Cece. Um, yeah. I remember I was in the cinema watching Scream too. I was like, Buffy, what the, what are you fucking doing? And then I went, Oh, it's not Buffy. (laughs) It's not Buffy. It's not Buffy. So yeah, I know I had the same, I had the same thought as, as you did. So anyway, Sydney at the party, she finds out 
that there's been somebody that's been killed. The party ends, everybody leaves. Gail is um, at the scene of the crime. Debbie Salt is randomly there. Debbie Salt is going to come in, come into the movie so fucking randomly. <laughs> but um, but I you like know, Debbie Salt. yeah, yeah. But I, I just want to point out uh, here. Do you think? Uh, do you think this Debbie Salt character has like uh, a, a grand purpose in the film? Because when I was watching the film today, I had no idea. Um, I, 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 look, I don't think anybody that's going to listen to this has not seen Scream Two. Okay. But we're not gonna spoil we're not gonna spoil it, but I just don't no, think that that's not. gonna be the case. No, but um, I couldn't even I, yeah. I couldn't even I couldn't even keep a straight face. I'm sorry. Yeah. Do you think he has she has an overarching plan? Hmm, I don't know. <laughs> Does she? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also 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 I do wanna mention uh when when uh the sor- the sorority party spills out into the street spills out into the street to find out what happened at the other house uh, Debbie Salt is there first, and Gail is actually late mm. to the scene. Yeah. Um, so we go back to Sydney, and she's left her jacket. Everybody's out of the house. She's left her jacket in, and she's Derek's there, and she's like, "Look, I'm just gonna go get my jacket." And he goes, "Yeah, okay." So she goes back into the house, and this is the scene. This is something that I just want. Like, I let it slide because I like this movie so much. But the phone start. The landline starts ringing, and she puts Why does her she jacket have to pick on. It up? Right, and she goes to walk past it, and she just cannot resist answering the phone. But if she just didn't answer it, would any of this shit happen? I don't know. So she answers it, and it's like, hello, Sydney. And you're like, oh, you've answered the phone. Um, so Ghostface comes out. She start, He starts chasing Sydney. She runs outside. Derek goes inside, and um, she he she finds him with um, – or Dewey finds him with a cut. Um, a slash in his arm and Sydney is like basically fuck my life because <laughs> like why the fuck is this happening again what do you think yeah I for, first of all first of all when you know because because basically everybody goes to see what happened at the other sorority house and and Derek and Sydney well Derek's the one that says hey why don't I get your coat and take you home so while Derek is doing that Sydney is kind of you know miranding her way to the door the phone goes off, and, and and like you, I'm wondering, why the fuck, Sid, do you have to answer that phone? Why don't you just leave? Because if she, again, because if she just left, Ghostface would have had to find another way to kill her. Or or, or or find another way to separate her from Derek. And I think and I think that a scene outside in the middle of the, in, in, in the middle of the night would have been more fun than having a scene inside. I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm not saying I'm not saying I disagreed. With what Kevin did, I just would have done that scene a little bit differently to give it a little bit more uh, uh, pop. The other thing, the other thing that this scene does very, very well, is that Kevin does a good job of of ra- ratcheting up the suspicion meter. When Derek gets stabbed, the 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 the, the injury that he sustains is a very serious injury. But I think it's Dewey or Mickey, the one that mentions it. Oh no, it's Randy. I'm sorry. I think it's I think it's Randy. You're gonna have to correct me on this because I think I'm wrong. One of her friends mentions that although the stab wound is deep and it's serious, the stab wound just happened to miss all of the vital organs in his arm. Uh, that begs the that begs the suspicion that maybe he did it to himself. Yeah. So yeah, that's at the that's the next scene. There's a, there's a short scene at a yeah. hospital, and they're yeah, they're my, they're bandaging Derek's my, arm up. And yeah, my, I, I, my fault. No, 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 no. That's fine because it's the next scene anyway. Um, I I can't. I think it's Dewey. Oh, isn't it convenient that 
you know, it, it's just missed every artery. I think it's Dewey, but I, I only watched this yesterday. What the fuck? This is my memory. Um, but <coughs> I think it is Dewey that says that. And that kind of puts a thing in Sydney's mind, like, oh, but what Kevin is trying to do is he's trying to cast shade over Derek. Like, mm-hmm. oh, isn't it convenient, blah, 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 which is what he does best is he throws shade on so many characters to try yeah. and get you to go, it's him, it's her, it's him, it's her. Another scene after that, another short scene, they're at the police station, Gail and Dewey, Dewey uh, with the police chief, and they're trying to work out why the killer is killing these people. And then they realize the killer is killing people that have the same names as the original victims. And so it's a copycat killer. And so now they're kind of onto something. And then another short scene after that, Sydney, because doubt has been cast in her mind, she tells Derek, basically, I need you to stay away from me. You know, she doesn't want to see him. She she doesn't want to get... She tells him it's because she doesn't want to see him get hurt. But the real reason is she's in doubt because she's been through this before with Billy. She doesn't want a repeat of this, but... You know, she suspects him, but she doesn't want to say, I suspect you. It's like, oh, it's for you. It's, you know, it's not me. It's you kind of crap. But anyway, those are those, those are those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, you know, as far as Sydney's reasoning for, for wanting Derek, for wanting to step away from Derek, the audience knows why, but I think that the character of Sydney just wants to spare Derek his feelings at this point, because Sydney knows whatever, whatever is going to happen here, it's not going to be good. She has to know that. Mm. I, you know, I, I thought I thought it was really clever of Kevin to put in that little wrinkle of the victims that Ghostface is killing have the same last name as the original victims. I thought that was a really unique and interesting way to tie in these murders to the original murders. I thought that was an amazing little tie in that he did there. Yeah, I thought that was super, super smart. Um, so now we come to the scene that I fucking hate. But before we do that, tell me what you were going to say. Um, just, I mean, the, I mean, the great thing about these films, and the great thing, uh, and the great, the great thing about these films, and the great way that Kevin writes horror films is that, for the most part, every scene that he writes has a purpose, and every person, every person that he kills has a purpose and an impact. On this direct story, he doesn't kill people just to kill people. He does it with a purpose. Now, here I go. What are you? What are you trying to? What are you? I'm gonna, are you trying to say up, something about up, some some other up. movie? <laughs> hold up. So, 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 so the only thing that I'm gonna say is, if you guys are writing a horror movie, it's very important for you. If if you're gonna kill, if you're gonna kill somebody, have the per, have the character that you're gonna kill tie into the greater plot of your story don't kill somebody for just shock value don't do it that way because if you do it that way as a writer as a writer and as a professional you're not going to look that way you're going to look like an idiot sorry that was it yeah look any horror movie that you watch where people the killer just kills people for no reason and no motivation it's a you know it's a shit writer you know it's a first time writer uh, you know, a shit, a shit director because the director should have pulled him up on that shit and went, mm, maybe we should do this, maybe we should do that. So you know you're watching a shit movie if there's no rhyme or reason to the killings. Now, I'm not saying a, a killer in a movie can't kill random people, but there has to no, be a he reason can. he's killing he random people. Yeah, <laughs> has yeah, to be yeah, a yeah. reason. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. The most the most important part, like like my like my lovely co-host said just there. There has to be a reason. He can kill randomly, but there has to be a reason. Mm, he can't yeah. kill non-randomly. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. So now, the scene that I absolutely hate, the scene, the worst scene in the entire fucking franchise, including Scream 5, is the scene at the college dining hall. Really? Where Derek stands on the table singing to Sydney, I think I love you. I fast forward through that scene every single time. It makes me fucking cringe. I don't even want to talk about it, so you can talk about it. I fucking hate that scene. Okay, I, I, I have one thing to say. That I have one thing to say about this scene. And you might be surprised because, ladies and gentlemen, uh, you may not know, but here's a little thing about me. I'm a song and dance man and Dean is not. Mm -hmm. That scene, when he basically gives Sydney his Greek letters, which is a big no-no in college. You never do that. And if you do that... Look, that was the point of the scene. I get it. But I hate the scene. Yeah, but but Kevin could have found another way to do it. He Mm. didn't have to do that. Why did he choose to do that? But, but, (laughs) but... But saying saying that this scene is the worst scene of the franchise, that's going a little bit too far because in another sequel in this franchise that shall remain nameless to the, for this point, there's so many inconsistencies and so many fucked up wrong things that happen in that movie that almost makes me want to give this movie for this particular scene a pass. But guess what? I'm not going to do that this time. No, but I when, don't, I don't, Scream 5 is not a part of the Scream movies to me. It wasn't written by Kevin. It wasn't directed by Wes. It's not a part yeah. of it. Yeah. It's separate. It's, it's separate. It's, it's like, it's like a, it's like an outlier. Out, what's that? Outlier. No, it's like, it's, it's like something that's a part of the universe, but not. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't so, include that. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, I, I listen. I mean, I listen. When I think of the screen, when I think of the screen films, I think of screen one, two, three, and four, and that's it. But anyway, back to the scene that Dean has nightmares about. When I was watching that scene today, I fast forwarded. I, I, I couldn't watch it. I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> so it's not just me. No, I'm like, Thank no, I like, like every like. See, look, look, look. Every time I see this movie, and I see it maybe once or twice every year. I'm like, no, I can't watch this scene. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just go on to the next scene. I can't take it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, it's cringy. It's cringeworthy. Yeah. And it's like, look, 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 all due respect to Jerry O'Connell. His, his lovely, lovely wife is amazing, but he can't sing worth a lick. Yeah. I just, I just, I can't with that scene. Anyway, shall we move on? I want to talk about Yes, please. Anymore. Yeah, let's go. Let's move on. So the next scene I actually love. So they've paired a shit scene with a good scene. Uh, on television, we see an interview with Tori Spelling, and she's promoting <laughs> Stab. And I love this because if Why you remember, if you remember in the first movie, exactly. um, Sydney made a crack about if they ever made a movie on her, she'd probably get Tori Spelling, like making it really derogatory. And I think it's funny that in this movie they did make a movie and they decided let's just get Tori Spelling just because of that comment. I love that. Um, so she's promoting Stab. She's on like Entertainment Tonight, one of those one of those shows. Uh, she plays Sydney Prescott, and the scene <laughs> we see a scene. It's so fucking bad. Like obviously, again, it's the Heather Graham thing. They were told to sort of act shit. It's so B grade. The scene is from the first movie where Sydney's in the school and she's running down the hallway. Billy's just been released from 
uh, from custody and he catches her and they have this conversation in the hallway where she says, is your brain licking mine? Like, my mum's a dead. Or, you know, that scene, if you remember that movie. So that's the scene they recreated. And they got Luke Wilson to play Billy, who's got the worst wig I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's supposed to look bad, I get it, but it's so funny. And he just does the worst acting I've ever... Because he's, again, he's quite a good actor. He just does the worst acting I've ever seen him do. I absolutely love that scene. Uh, I love they got Tori Spelling. I love they recreated scenes from the first movie. I just thought that that was genius. What did you think? Yeah, um, you know, you you know that scene with uh, with the interviewer from Entertainment Tonight interviewing Tori Spelling as Sydney Prescott in the Stab films. I thought it was really great because if I'm not mistaken, and I'm probably wrong, but that line in the original scream about you know. When, you know, you know, when they start talking about if they make this into a movie, Dewey says that, you know, he could see Sid being played by young Meg Ryan. Sidney says, I, you know, you know, I would go for Tory Spelling. Initially, in the original draft of the script, Sidney says another name and the Tory Spelling thing came out of her head. It was a it was a um, an ad lib. Oh, so, was it? Huh. Yeah, so so Wes, so Wes, and Kevin took that and um and you know and 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 thus put you know uh, Tori Spelling in Scream Two. But here's a another funny thing, um, mm. Neb Campbell. Mm. Every time that she sees uh, Tori Spelling, apologizes to her for that. <laughs> yeah, like like I know that. Like yeah. like she feels so bad that she had that like ad lib moment and she kind of sort of forced her to be in the yeah. uh, sort of forced her to be in like this particular you know uh movie within a movie scene but i i, I think it's quite charming i think it's i yeah, I, 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 I love that scene and i'm um i'm a fan of luke wilson and i really love how dumb and how moronic he played yeah, billy really. from the original movie it was just yeah. so dumb yeah it was just it was so dumb. dumb it was so dumb. i the, the the other thing i want to mention here before we move forward I don't know as much behind the scenes trivia for this movie as I do the first one. And I did not know that all the stab uh, movie scenes were directed by Rob Zombie. I did not know that. Robert Rodriguez. Robert Rodriguez. I'm sorry. Okay. So um, moving on to... Uh, so Sydney's in drama club in college and she's rehearsing a play. I think it's like some Greek play. I don't know what the play is. Um, do you know what it is? Yeah. It's, um, it's Helen of Troy. Oh, Helen of Troy. Okay. So yeah. she's rehearsing. I don't it's, like that scene. No, I don't like it either. Um, it's mm. uh, Helen of Troy is weird because of how they've done it. It doesn't scream Helen of Troy. But anyway, so um, she's rehearsing the play and everyone in the play is wearing long robes and like weird like Greek myth masks. And Sydney's in this red thing and she's saying her lines and then she sees Ghostface in, in and amongst the, the robed people. And she thinks she's seeing things because everybody's got a mask on. And then he starts chasing her and then she starts freaking out and and she kind of collapses to the floor and Ghostface runs away and she thinks, I don't know, I think that she thinks, do you think that she thinks that she made it up or do you think that she, she thinks that he was really there? No, I, I I think that she half thinks she's, I think that she half thinks she made it up and I and I think that the other half of her mind says that he was really there. But again, I didn't like the way that that scene was constructed. I was like, what? Yeah, I'm with you. Why? I'm with I you. didn't, I, I didn't, I didn't like the conversation that she had with her 
drama teacher that mm. he said that you know she's so because she goes she basically goes to her drama teacher to say you know with everything going on in my life i need to quit and it's her drama teacher that convinces her to do this rehearsal and that's where everything happens and i don't like that i don't like when people in places of authority force other people who are obviously going through a hard time to do something that they don't want to do i hate that so then again, you know, then again, I don't have much to say about the scene because I don't like it that much, unfortunately. Yeah, I look, it's not the worst scene. I don't love it. Um, but quickly, like when she runs off stage, she bumps into Derek, which doesn't again? look good for him. No, it doesn't. Um, and she suspects him even more and she tells him like she just she needs space. And like poor Derek, like spoiler alert, he's done nothing wrong. Fucking spoiler no. alert. He does nothing no. wrong. Uh, but no. poor, poor Derek. Anyway, the next scene. Gail Dewey and Randy. Oh, I fucking hate this scene. Oh, God. Randy's my... Fa- okay, I just want to... Okay, I'm going to tell you the scene and then I'm going to tell you my thoughts on this fucking scene. This motherfucker of a scene. Gail Dewey <laughs> and Randy are having a, a talk and it's during the day they're in out in the open on college campus. Um, they're having a talk about who the killer is. They don't know who it is. And Randy gets a call from the killer saying you know, oh, you look deep in thought. And so they're like, fuck, he's here. He's watching us. Dewey and Gail start running around the campus and they're like, look, keep him on the phone. So Randy's talking to him on the phone, talking smack. And anybody they see on a phone, they jump them. They're like, is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Uh, So Randy's on the phone, blah, blah, blah. And then Randy's walking around and he walks to where a van is parked and he gets pulled into the van and basically gets killed but i i it's funny when he gets pulled into the van wes is i don't know if this was in the script i'm pretty sure this is a wes thing wes has done this thing where he's got three guys with a boom box like walking by so like nobody can hear randy screaming which i thought was really ingenious to do actually and then and then uh, oh and then um gail is like where's randy Where, where's randy and Dewey's like, oh, fuck, I don't know. I don't know where he is. And then they go and then they open the van and then he's there and then he's dead and she screams, he screams. And can I just, I'm going to add two things to that. That's the end of the same. One, scream five. This is how you kill someone during the day. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yes. This is how you kill someone during the day. Not scream yes. five. This is how you fucking do it. And two, fuck this scene because Randy was my favorite character. You can fuck right <laughs> off with this. I remember I was sitting in the cinema and when they killed him off, I, fu- I, 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 I probably burst out crying. I was so pissed that Kevin would kill like a fan favorite so early on. I just, I don't even know why he would do I'm, I'm still, I still have not forgiven him. For the for the death of Randy, but anyway, that's my spiel. Go for it. Yeah, look, 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 look. The scene of Randy, Gil, Dewey, and everybody else talking—you know, basically running through their heads about who the killer is—is is a good scene. But here's the thing: when Ghostface calls Randy on the phone or on the phone, he should have stayed with Gil and Dewey. Why did he break off from them? So I agree. That, I agree. So, so, so that's a tell. That's a telltale sign right there. The other thing that I'm like, dude, why are you mouthing off to a serial killer? That is not smart. Why are you doing that? Because it's Randy. Yeah, it's <laughs> Randy. Why. It's Randy. It's Randy. Randy. But also, if you notice, as as Randy is walking through the campus, as as the scene starts out, there are a bunch of people around him. But as the scene mm. goes, there are less people. There. With every second, there are less people around him. 
And by the mm. end, there's almost nobody around him. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, I did. I did. Okay. When <laughs> when he gets pulled into the van and he gets murdered, I listen, when um you know, when I truly fell in love with Kevin as a writer and I fell in love with the Scream franchise, that th- there's two things in Scream that make me more angry than anything in the world. Number one is um is the Randy thing because I because look Randy is not my favorite character but Randy was one of my favorites so seeing him die in such a violent fashion and in a in a news van and to have the two uh, kids come by come come by with the boombox so people won't hear him scream I think is amazing I think is awesome but structurally I think that scene could have been done a little bit better because I would have had randy with gail and dewey and then have them have to split up for some reason and then kill randy in another way i'm look look i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not trying to rewrite kevin because the way that he wrote it is fine but i'm just saying i i would have preferred a little bit more common sense in that scene um and i would have preferred a randy not to die yeah look and uh, look i look i just want to say this two thing the the other the other two times that i said you know you know fuck um Fuck this moment in the screen franchise. <laughs> uh, one when um yeah when when Kirby got stabbed out by the oh, porch. Oh yeah, yeah. And but that's gonna be fixed. Oh, by the way, just I just want to uh, a little thing. <laughs> no, but hold up. Just let me just let me say this. Let me let me say yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and this is where I lose all jobs, all future jobs in Hollywood. <laughs> um, <clears throat> are you listening to me, Radio Silence people? If you motherfuckers brought Kirby back. To kill her again, I am. I'm never going to forgive you guys. Look, I don't. I don't. I. I don't like you guys now. But if you fucking bring Curry back just to kill her again, I'm gonna. I'm gonna riot. All right, enough said about that. Um, but you <laughs> know what? Riot. I'm gonna riot from my bedroom. <laughs> <laughs> from behind my computer desk, I'm gonna. I'm gonna riot. You fucking better watch out. I'm gonna yeah, send other... you some harshly worded fucking tweets. <laughs> tweets. <laughs> the other look, look, look. You uh, when? Uh, sorry. When you saw this scene of Randy getting killed in the theater, you had that violent reaction. You almost cried, like you said. Mm. For me, for me, I had the same exact reaction. This is just a little side, and then we'll move on. I had the same exact reaction when Dewey got it in the hospital in oh, in yeah. um in Scream Five. I was I, yeah. I I seriously stood up. And and granted, there were only like six other people in the movie theater, right? It was. It was me, Matt, and like and like a couple other people. Hmm. I stood up and I said, "Bullshit! What the fuck are you doing?" And they got, <laughs> and they got, and there were uh, there was a there was a couple be- there was a there was a there was a group of uh, friends behind us, and they were like, "Fuck right! What the fuck is he doing?" <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, you know, bullshit. you know, but that's neither here nor there. But ultimately, I think Randy's death served a purpose for two things because when you do sequels as a writer you have to make the you have to make the deaths bigger bloodier Mm -hmm. and you have to make them hurt more Mm -hmm. and i think that that's the reason why kevin did that the fact that he chose randy and not somebody else uh really pissed me off because uh fyi my two favorite characters in scream ever are number one kirby and number two sydney so Yeah. yeah, but again, but again, I, I lastly, I, I swear to God, I'm, 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 I'm almost done. 
lastly, I think the scene is good, but I I, I just would have tweaked it a little bit, a little bit to make it more effective. If I was, uh, mm. if I was, if I was scribing the scene. So uh, moving on, uh, Sydney, we're with Sydney and she's at the library and she gets an instant message on her computer screen and it says you're going to die tonight. And the guy next to her says all the terminals are connected. It has to be coming from someone using a computer. And so she stands up and here we are introduced to two of the most useless detectives probably ever in horror fucking history. This is what they do. Oh, Sydney, wait here. We'll go and they leave her alone. They leave her alone and they're going to go and investigate. And I'm like, what the fuck? And then, of course, Cotton shows up and he starts harassing her to do a tell-all interview with Diane Sawyer. Like, come on, we're going to get $10,000 each. And she's just like, I don't, she's not fame hungry. He is. She's like, I don't want to do it. I, you know, she basically, no, no, no. He starts getting the shits. He starts getting, not violent, but he starts raising his voice. She runs back into the library. He starts yelling and then... He gets arrested and there's a short scene just after that in the police station where they're interrogating Cotton and Sid- this is where Sydney-, Sydney finds out about Randy and they can't hold Cotton. He's like, I've done nothing wrong. Like, you can book me for, like, raising my voice in a library. That's pretty much it. I've not threatened her. I've not done anything. And so they kind of have to let him go. Yeah, so those are those two scenes. What say you? Yeah, I mean, look, as a... As as a as a tech head, I when when I was watching the scene today with Sydney in the, uh, with Sydney in the library, and her getting that direct message on her computer, and the program she's using is not even AOL, because when this movie came out, AOL hadn't even come out yet. AOL didn't get released until like the early two thousands, I believe. So I don't know what program she's using, but that's not like a. That's not like it's a, pro- no. It's a it was the library program because it was it was oh. coming from the li- library terminals. It was that. Oh, okay. 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 It was it, it was a library program then, so I can yeah. I, I can forgive that. But yeah. um like you, um once Sydney gets that message on the computer screen, the way that her two dimwitted detectives act is so stupid. Because mm-hmm. they are supposed to be protecting her. And where they do, like you said, they leave her alone to be accosted by cotton. It's ridiculous. It's so fucking stupid. Because listen, one of you can go searching for the searching for Ghostface, but the other one should stay with Sydney. What the hell is that about? I know it's so so ridiculous. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, when it comes to when it comes to the scene in um uh in the in the police station when Cotton is getting interrogated, I thought that that scene could have been really taken out because I think the only purpose that that scene served was to let Sydney know that what happened to Randy and I thought mm. that that could have been done in a different way. Yeah, look, I don't hate it. It's it is what it is. Yeah, no, yeah. no, no. It, it's it's fine. Could have been done a think, different way. Yeah, I just think I just think that I just think that she could have like it would have mm. been really cool if there would have been a scene where Dewey t- goes up to Sid or finds Sid and tells Sid, and we actually got to see her first raw reaction. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree. Next scene, Gail's basically cameraman says he's out. Like, he's not doing this anymore. He's just like, I've read your book. I'm not doing this. I don't want to die. I'm fucking out. Um, yeah. Funny story. Um, mm. do you, do do you actually do you actually know why that um the the cameraman does that? Because um yes, but I can't remember. So tell me. Um, because the actor the actor at that uh, at that time had 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 another project to do, and mm. um. When when his character was being written, Kevin Kevin really hit a wall, and he couldn't really figure out how to get rid of him without killing him. And he did he didn't mm. want to he didn't want to kill him, 
So so Wes uh, came to Kevin one day and said, "Listen, why don't we just have him freak out and take a taxi and and take a and take a ca- and, and and take a taxi uh, mm. off the campus?" And that's yeah. that. Yeah. And the only reason that the actor came back at at the end of the film was because the actor liked his experience so much that he mm. decided to come back. It wasn't yeah. It wasn't uh it wasn't a West decision or it wasn't a Kevin decision. It was the actor really like to come back. As a character. I really, really like him. I thought he brought um funny lines. He was Levity. A, he... Yeah. He was he was a he he lifted the tension a lot with his scenes. Yeah, but... So I thought his scenes really worked. Yeah, because here here's the thing, with uh with uh with with Gail's first cameraman, Kenny, that guy was just an idiot. That guy that mm. guy was just like a was 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 basically like Gail's lapdog in the first movie. And this guy is more of a funny, sort of like a sort of like a supporting not a partner in crime, but he's just more funny than Kenny was. Yeah, no, he was, he was. Um so anyway, he leaves, he leaves his camera and footage behind. And so Gail and Dewey go, well, maybe there's something in the footage that that maybe he's caught Ghostface because he was just shooting random stuff. Um, so they want to watch it. Gail, I like this scene because it, it shows growth in Gail's character. Gail feels, has a change of heart because she's talking to Dewey and she says she feels really bad about what happened. Like, And, and that she even says, I never feel bad about anything, but I feel bad <laughs> about this. So you can see that she's she's coming around to... Not to stop being such an a-hole and, and, and being, you know, it's, I mean, to me, it's character development. And you can it see is, the switch in her head. And she's just like, instead of, instead of wanting to get fame and money out of it, she legit, that's when you can see in her head, she's like, fuck this guy. I want to catch him. You fucked with me. You've killed my friend. Let's just do this. So um, I, I really, really, really like that scene. What say you before I move on to the next one? Yeah. I, yeah. I think, you know, you know, I think at this point in the film, Gail really understands that, you know, she has to put her biases aside and, and Gail really understands that the most important thing right now is not her fame and fortune. The most important thing right now is find this motherfucker before he kills anybody else. And you're right. I I do think that it's a small growth. Uh, Ke- Kevin took that. Kevin took that moment to give Gail a small dose of reality and to give her some humility. And I love the way that he did that. Also, also... Before you move on to the next scene, I love what happens with Dewey and Gail while they're actually reviewing the footage as well. But I'll let you get to that. Yeah. So um, next scene, Gail and Dewey are at one of the college film uh, buildings looking for a, wait for it, VCR. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so love you can it. see how, how old this fucking movie is. Love it. To, to love it. To view the camera guy's footage because it's on a VHS tape. So... They uh they they find a VCR and a, a a TV and they start being really cutesy with each other because they love each other. It's just that you know they kind of don't want to say it. I don't know. I like I like their chemistry. In the middle, so they start watching the footage, and they kind of get over it because the footage. He Joel, the cameraman, has shot the scene where Dewey is basically calling Gail out on all all her shit. And he's like, and he just looks at Gail. He's like, yeah, that was mean. I shouldn't have done that. And so she looks at him and she knows he doesn't mean it. Like she knows he's just a big dope, but in the best way possible. Um, And then, you know, they start making out and they, they kind of get on the desk. And then there's another TV screen just above the TV screen they're watching. 
and it turns on and it's a and it's the footage of the first couple at the movie theater in line shot from like a, a car jada and omar um and then it switches to footage of Cece when she comes out when she kind of goes out of the house and then goes back in and then there's randy from inside the van before he's pulled in and then it switches to live i love this it switches to live footage of them and they're like, and honestly, if that happened to me, I would freak the fuck out. I would be like, oh my, like I would just, I would literally just die right there. My heart would just give out. And so they look behind them and they see Ghostface in the projector room. So Dewey runs up the stairs and he runs into the projector room and there's no one there. And then Ghostface jumps out at Gale. And at this time, at this time, watching this movie for the first time, you wouldn't realize it. But watching it again, you can, it, it, you can tell there's two. Because there's no way that they could get from the projector room down to where Gail is in like two seconds. So you can actually tell, oh, there's two, but Wes shot, shoots it in such a way that you don't realize it until you've watched this time, movie about 50 billion times. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, so he chases her and um, before we get to it, we get to one of my favorite scenes in the entire franchise, but I'll talk about that in a second. What are your thoughts on that scene? I love this scene because this scene does two things. This scene really this scene really progresses the Gail and Dewey relationship. Dewey apologizes for the way that he treated Gail in their first interaction in uh in the early part of the film and they do have that nice little make they do have that nice they do have that nice little makeout session on top of the desk, but I absolutely love the fact that the killer basically photographed his early murders in the film and played them for Gail and Dewey while they were in the AV room in, in the college. I, I, I thought that that was the most creepiest thing I had ever seen at the, at, at the, at the oh, time yeah. that I, the, oh, yeah. at the time that I had watched this movie for the first time, maybe, you know, years ago. Mm. Um, and you know, I just want to—I just want to point out something. I just want to add a little something to what you said. You said that after you watch this movie multiple times, you really understand that there's no way that Ghostface can get from here to here so fast if he was just one person. The mm. other thing that Wes does really, really well is that in every screen movie that he directs, listen up, Radio Silence. Every script. Sorry, I hate—I hate those guys. Um, look, look, okay, I need to apologize. Those guys might be wonderful people, but the way they write screen movies, I don't like. Anyway, God help me. Please be good. I'm, I'm losing my train of thought. What am I saying? Yes. Okay. So the way that West directs, uh, the way that West shows Ghostface from the particular angles that he shows Ghostface from, you can never tell how tall he really is. There's always this question about... How tall is he and who is really wearing that costume? The radio silence people, oh God, they don't, they don't do, do that. that. They don't they do don't that. Do, look, <laughs> they're not experienced enough to know how they, to do that. Uh, mm. You mentioned, you mentioned that one of your favorite sequences is coming up with, you know, with Gail. When I was watching this movie a couple years ago and I watched the sequence and I, while I was watching the movie, I was trying to think to myself, why do I love this movie so much? And during mm. during this sequence, during this next sequence that you're going to talk about in a minute here, that's when I decided that this movie is fucking the bomb. There's something mm. about this sequence coming up 
that mm-hmm. I just love. And I'm like, this movie fucking rules. Everything yeah. about this movie almost works to a T. It's just so yeah. fucking, it's expertly directed and it's so well written that I'm like, oh, thank you. So my favorite scene, Ghostface is chasing Gale and they're in the film film building or, or art building. And Gale runs into a room that I can only really describe as a, a maze, a soundproofing maze room. And it's, it's, it looks like it's for like recording music. There's a piano you can see, like there's instruments like everywhere. So it looks like it's a soundproofing room. Gale runs into the room and Ghostface is in there. And Gale, if, Wes has just filmed this so beautifully. The, so how do I explain? It's a maze, right? So there's, there's partitions everywhere. There's and sections. So, there's sections of soundproofing things. Yep. <laughs> and so I don't know how to explain it. It's just so good. So Gail's in there with Ghostface. So every time... So Gail's trying to move as quietly as possible, right? Because Ghostface is looking for her. So every time she moves around a corner, he peeks behind that. He peeks and he doesn't see her because she's just moved. So she's maneuvering herself around all these partitions and he literally just misses her. But... The way that it's shot, they must have have to they they must have rehearsed that scene so many times to get it perfect because the timing is so bang on that I just every time I watch that scene, I just I mean I'm actually in awe. Like it's just so perfect to me. Um, and then. Gail steps into another room. She closes the door, but it doesn't lock. And there's a there's a soundproof glass, uh, soundproof glass behind her that I don't know if she notices. Um, but Dewey steps into the room that's on the other side of the glass, and he bangs on the thing, and she can't hear him. So you go, oh, it's soundproof. So she she doesn't know he's there. And then Ghostface comes up behind Dewey and stabs him, and she obviously just he's banging on the glass, and she doesn't know he's there. And then. Um, Dewey grabs a microphone and yells Gale and she turns around and she just sees Ghostface just stabbing the shit out of Dewey and it's a really really uh, sad scene uh, because because they've just reconnected they've realised they love each other you know what I mean and it's just like Kevin's just gone let's reconnect them and then let's just let's just kill I mean spoiler alert Dewey's not dead not yet Um, (laughs) not yet not yet. It's three more movies down the track, but um, <laughs> it was just a really sad scene because she could do she could do nothing but yeah, stand yeah. there and watch. And it was beautifully shot and beautifully like honestly, the worst thing in the world to me would be watching somebody you love die in front of you and not being able to do anything. That's literally the worst thing for me. So anyway, that's that's my favorites. That's one of my favorite scenes. The other one's coming up. But what say you? Yeah, um, it's funny because before you started talking about the scene, I sort of, I sort of teed it up for you, and I said there was something about the scene that I, there was something about that scene that made me realize that this sequel is probably my favorite sequel of all time, and the way that you described how Wes and Kevin constructed that scene of Gail basically outwitting Ghostface by seconds. And with with the soundproof sections that she was going through, you know, that was it. That's why I love that scene so much because the way that Wes directed it and the way that Kevin wrote it. Um, the other thing, the other thing that I find horrifying, you just mentioned it when Gail goes into that one 
room that's basically like a recording booth and Stewie's uh, Stewie Jesus Christ Dewey is on the other side of the glass Ghostface comes in stabs him and you know and, and the only time that Gail notices it is when Dewey activates the microphone from his side and yells Gail and you just said the most awful the 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 the, the horrible the one of the one of the most nightmare situations that anybody could be in is to watch somebody that you love die right in front of you and not be able to do anything about it. And right when you said that, I'm like, wow, I had that happen to me. When a little personal aside here. When my uh, grandmother had her heart attack, uh, um, she was on life support for three days. And I remember sitting in the hospital bed, looking at her face as they took her off life support. And I watched her die. So every so so every time I see this scene now, it's like a giant trigger of me being brought back to my to to watching my grandmother die, which is which is fine, but it's just well 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 that's not fine, but it's just an amazing scene that 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 brings out so much emotion that brings out so much emotion and so much pain and frustration, and also you you actually start to worry about Dewey because. If you've only seen this movie one time, you're like, oh my God, Kevin killed Randy. Does he have the balls to kill Dewey too? So it's like, yeah, yeah, it's like, yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, it's just, a, it's just a really affecting, it's just a really effective scene. Even if you don't have that emotional connection to it, like I do. Yeah. Uh, I just, yeah, I just love that scene. It's just expertly written and expertly um, directed. The next yep. scene. It's funny because it jumps from one of my favorite scenes to the other, my favorite scene, the other one. <laughs> so Sydney and Hallie are being driven somewhere. Uh, we don't know where <clears throat> by the clueless detectives. Hold on. <clears throat> by the clueless detectives. And they won't tell them where they're taking them. And then they come to a stoplight and Ghostface is there. He pulls one of the cops out of the car and kills him. And he goes around the other side, uh, and kicks the other cop and kind of knocks him out a little bit and then jumps on the hood of the car and then Ghostface uh, drives the car. He gets into the driver's seat and one of the cops gets up and he goes, hey, stop. And so Ghostface puts the accelerator on and <laughs> the the cop is on the hood of the car and they're kind of, he's trying to swerve to fucking get him off. And then he drives into construction uh, killing the cop, the car, cop's face goes sh- smush into the window, pole, uh, into the pole. Yep, and knocking and Ghostface knocks himself out. That's not my favorite scene. This, this is this is the one. Mm-hmm. And so Hallie and um, Sydney are in the back, and now they can't get out because you can't get out of cop cars. They don't. That you have to go on the outside. And so they're like, fuck, what are we going to do? And there's a gauze in front of them. And the pole that's come through from the construction has lifted the gauze a little bit. So Sydney pulls the gauze out. It's, and- a, it's, a, it's a, sorry, it's, it's, um, it's security mesh in the back of police cars. That's- yeah. So she, sorry about that. she makes her way into the front of the car. And she doesn't know he's knocked out. She's just assuming. And so she goes to pull the mask off because she's like, fuck this, I want to know who it is. And as, as soon as she goes to take it off, her elbow hits the horn. <laughs> she's, and Hallie's like, don't fucking do, don't do that so again. Just don't do that again. And so she reaches over Ghostface and she, she tries to 
open the door, but it won't, it won't unlock. And she's, fuck. So she winds down the window. And yes, folks, you did have to wind down a window uh, in the 90s and early 2000s. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and it took all your strength to do it. It was not easy. So anyway, yeah. she kind of lifts herself over him and out of the window, his window. So she tries to open the door to get Hallie out and it won't open. And she's like, you have to do the same thing I did. And Hallie's like, no, fuck that. I'm not doing that. She goes, you have to. So Hallie does the same thing. And what I really, really like about that scene is I again I remember I was in the cinema covering my face going what the fuck is this like I it was so intense and you didn't know if Ghostface was gonna was faking it was gonna wake up it's such it's expertly written and expertly shot and I don't know how many times I'd do that scene but if they had to do it a lot I feel sorry for Nev Campbell and the actress that plays Hallie because that's that's a lot of contorting your body (laughs) to get out of a window and to get out of the back seat of a car. But it, it's such an intense scene. So anyway, Hallie gets out and they run away. And, and Sydney's like, I have to know who it is. Otherwise this never ends. And Hallie's like, what the fuck are you kidding? Like, don't do that. So, and there's a beautiful shot where it's from Hallie's perspective and Sydney goes running towards the car and you can see the car and you can clearly see there's nobody in there. Ghostface is not in the car anymore. (laughs) And so you're like, but she doesn't know, but we know, but she doesn't know. Again, Wes being an expert. And so she gets to the car and she's like, oh my God, he's gone. Nobody's, nobody. I don't know where he, how he got out because you you couldn't, how did he, look, the thing I have with it, I love it. But like, how did Ghostface get out of the car when even Sydney couldn't even open the car? Anyway. Yeah, but, yeah, but here's the, look, look, I I just want to, I just want to just say this one thing and then you can, you can continue going. But here's the thing. The way the way that Ghostface moves from place to place, and sometimes you don't really understand how he gets from A to B, to me, that's excusable. The one guy that does that in horror movies, and it drives me crazy every time he does that, um, is Michael Myers. The way that Michael Myers moves from here to there, every time that he does that, it pisses me off. But for some reason, when Ghostface does it, I buy it and I let it go. I don't know what that's, I don't know what that's about, but that's. Uh, that's a point of contention that I'm willing to give that I'm willing to forgive Kevin for because it's sort of something that he has to do in certain situations. Oh yeah, look, it doesn't bother me. That doesn't bother me. It bothers me how did Ghostface get, get out, out of the, of the car, car when Sydney couldn't get out of the when she when the like the thing didn't the handle didn't work. But anyway, it's just a little right, fucking right, right. thing. So no, anyway, she goes back, she realizes he's not there, and then Ghostface comes up behind Hallie and kills Hallie, which is another character I really like. But anyway, it is what it, it is what it is. So that's that scene. So any more thoughts on that before I move on? Yeah, um, I really really love that scene because, like you said, the tension of watching Neb Campbell crawl over Ghostface, you know, crank down the window. You know, guys, when we were kids, we didn't have electric car windows. We had manual windows. Um, so that that whole sequence was expertly written and directed because, like you said, we don't know as an audience member if Ghostface is going to wake up and stab Neb in the neck, in the stomach, or what have you. It's just like, like Wes... And Kevin made such a good duo because they knew exactly how to scare you. They knew exactly how to make you feel dread. And they exa- and they knew how to make you feel levity as well. They, they knew how to do several different things in one 
contained space or in one contained movie. And not a lot of writer-director duos know how to do that. And I, I think yeah. I, I think I think that's what set them apart from other writer director duos out there today. Not to say that mm. not to say that those writer and director duos aren't good, but yeah, it, it they just have something special about them. Yeah. When Halle got it, when you know, you know, when we found out that Ghostface somehow got out of the car, I was like, Oh man, I liked Halle. She was awesome. <laughs> yeah, I know, I liked it too. She was awesome. So we're back to Gail. Gail's still hiding and she comes out into the like the hallway of the building and she runs into Cotton who has blood all over his hands and she freaks out and she runs away and he's like, no, I was trying to help Dewey. Like, but obviously she thinks they're setting him up like he's the killer. He was innocent and now he's pissed off and now he's the killer. So she runs away and he's like, no, 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 I didn't do anything. She runs outside into who else but Debbie Salt, who is always fucking there. <laughs> um, she's always around. She's always around. Um, so that's, do you want to say anything on that? Because that's just the short scene before we get to the, the final act of the movie. No, on you go. All right. So uh, we're in the theater hall where Sydney was practicing her play before. And she hears me, she's outside because she's run away from, you know, the killer, and she hears music coming from the theatre hall. So she goes, so she obviously thinks somebody is there, safety, safety. So she goes in and she steps on the stage and a spotlight goes on her and she's just like, uh, and she still thinks like, okay, well, obviously Ghostface is there. He's not here. So obviously it's got to be some, some theatre student. And uh, a man on a Jesus-like cross comes down in front of her and it's Derek. And the reason he's on the cross is because in the previous scene, in the scene that is my favorite scene when he sings, he gives her his letters. And that's a big no-no. So what his frat fraternity brothers have done is they have basically roped him, uh, tied him to this cross in because you, you don't give your letters away, right? So that's why he's on the cross. And that's why he's there. So... He's got a mask on. She pulls the mask off. He's passed out. She wakes him up and Ghostface walks on the stage. And then we get the reveal dun, 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 of who the killer is. And it is Mickey, the film student, played by the amazing Timothy Oliphant. Uh, before he had gray hair, actually. Yeah, he used to have quite nice, quite nice dark brown hair. He did, yeah, um, he did you know, mm. just, a, just, a, just a quick word yeah. about Timothy. He, Timothy Oliphant is, a, is an amazing actor. <laughs> but, you know, but in this movie, he's just fun. Um, he's fun, yeah. But if you if you uh, don't know who he is, I would say watch Deadwood. Deadwood. Uh, Timothy Oliphant is fantastic in that. He's also, he's also really good in Justified as well. Oh, yes, Justified. I haven't seen that, so I don't know, but I'll take your word for it. So anyway, uh, anything you want to say? I'll move on. Yeah, no. Um, I have one question for you. How in the world? Mm. Because when when Derek's fraternity brothers took him, they basically picked him off off the street. But like, mm. how did he get to where he got? Do you think the fraternity pe- his fraternity brothers put him there, and you know Mickey didn't grab him and put him there himself? Because well, it when- seems like. It, hold on. It just seems a little bit convenient that he's just there. 
Uh, I, well, the thing is, he was in the, when they were trashing him in a previous scene, which I didn't mention because it didn't really have anything to do with anything, um, he was tied to a cross. So I was, I I assume that it was that one or I I don't know how he got there or they had the party there. I don't know. Right. Yeah. I just left him there. Yeah. I'm a, I'm of the, uh, I, you know, I'm of the belief that they had his, you know, you know, unbinding ceremony or his share, mm. ceremony of shame in the feeder. So that's how we got there. Because mm. if he didn't have it there, how in the world did Mickey get yeah. him from where they had it to propping him on the stage? There's could've, no way. Could've. There's no way that Mickey could have done that with his other partner in crime. No. Without being seen. There's, yeah. there's no possible way that they could have done that. No, 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 none. But again, I let it slide because I love yeah, this movie so much. Yeah, it's fine. It's <laughs> fine. It, again, 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 guys, we have these little nicks and picks with this movie, but that's 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 besides the point. We love this movie. We do. So Mickey starts telling Sydney, oh, Derek disappeared on him. He's been on his own he, he, the whole night. And Sydney looks at Derek and Derek's like, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I did. I'm not doing this. And Sydney's like, doesn't know what to think. Like, oh, my God, it's happening again. This is just like a fucking double take. And, you know, obviously, like, again, Derek is denying this. Sydney doesn't know what to do. Uh, Mickey, and then Mickey shoots Derek and he's dead. And then she realizes, oh, he's he didn't actually do anything. And now she feels even worse for suspecting him because now he's dead and he did fucking nothing wrong. So Derek's body on the cross starts, like, ascending. So obviously somebody else is there and they've pressed a button and it just, just made him fucking go away. And Mickey says, I told you I had a partner, Sid. And then, and I love, I love this. I don't know if Kevin wrote it or Wes just said, let's just do it this way. Gail walks out. And I remember in the cinema going, oh, Gail, no, I'm dying. <laughs> oh my no. God. What, Gail? No. <laughs> and then, and then, of oh course. Oh my God. And then and then Debbie Salt walks out behind her with a gun. I was like, oh, thank fucking God. <laughs> thank fucking God. Oh, my God. Biggest misdirect I've ever fucking seen in a movie, I'm telling you. So then so the, well, so then you're like, oh, Debbie. Oh, no wonder Debbie Salt's everywhere because she's the fucking, she's the other fucking killer. And then Sydney goes, Mrs. Loomis. And I oh, swear to God, all the man. blood just drains out of your face. And you're like, wait, what? Wh- wait, what, what, what? And you're like, oh my god, it's Billy's mum because Sydney had not actually seen Debbie Salt ever, like in the exact, movie. Exactly, exactly. It had only been Gail that had seen her, and Gail exactly. said, "No, I've seen pictures." And Gail says, "No, no, no," and and Sydney says, "No, she's lost a lot of weight and she's had work done." Yeah. So, but Sydney would because Sydney would have seen would have recognized her fucking straight away if, if Debbie had seen and interacted with Sydney, and I like that because some people would be saying, "Oh, but wouldn't you know?" Oh no, but like Sydney never actually fucking interacted with Debbie Salt, so I love that. And then Debbie is just I can't remember the name of the actress that I think it's Laurie Metcalf. Is it Laurie Metcalf? Yes, it's, uh, it's uh, from Roseanne. Yes, it's, yeah. Yes, it's Laurie Metcalf from Roseanne. Yes. Yeah, I love her, and I think she played this. I don't know anybody else. This is an example of perfect casting. This is perfect casting for Billy Loomis's mom, De- uh, Laurie Metcalf. She played it perfectly. She played it psychotic, but she didn't go over oh, yeah. the edge. And then, and then Mickey. See, Mickey is a film student. Mickey's Mickey, going nuts. 
Yeah, Mickey wanted to kill people because he wants to be famous. He wants he's can't he wants to get caught because he wants to go through the trial. He wants to be famous. And Debbie's like, well, I've used you. I don't need you anymore. So she shoots Mickey, and his gun actually goes off and hits Gail, and Gail falls off the stage. She's shot. Sydney, and so they have this kind of banter back and forth of you know this and that and Billy and she's like oh no Billy was a psycho just like you are so it's it's actually quite good dialogue but I didn't obviously write the dialogue down but it's a great banter that they have and then Sydney kind of gets away she runs backstage and she begins turning on all the buttons and the levers and because we had that previous scene of Sydney on stage which was that was the point of it to show that there's props and there's lightning and there's, do you know what I mean? There's sounds and stuff. So Sydney starts pressing all the buttons, turns the music up. So it sounds like there's thunder. It's really loud. There's props going off everywhere. There's props falling. Basically, Debbie is trying to dodge all the props that are flying at her. So before I go on, what do you think about just that bit? Um, I really, I really love that bit because, I mean, we, we talked about it earlier in this episode about how we didn't like Sydney, how we didn't like Sydney's interaction with her, with her feeder teacher. But like a good writer does, Kevin has done an amazing thing throughout this movie. He, he did, look, look, Kevin, Kevin almost, Kevin almost kicked the shit out of the script from moment one, but there's two things in particular that he did very, very well. One of those things is the fact that every time that we see uh, Billy's mother in this movie, the only one who she interacts with directly is Gail. And the reason why Kevin does that is because if if you think about it, that's Kevin having uh, uh, Debbie Salt interact with only Gail is the biggest is the biggest I'm going to drop a hat on the ground and I'm going to pick it up later on. And the way that he does it is just simply amazing because like you said, if Debbie Salt would have had an interaction with Sydney early on in the movie, there's no way in hell that Sydney wouldn't have been able to recognize Billy's mother even even if she had all the work done like you said. The other thing, the other thing that I like about this scene is that uh, uh, with Kevin showing us that scene of Sydney talking to her acting instructor early on, it shows us that Sydney knows how to work the things behind stage and she knows how to use the stage props as a way to defend herself. So I really like the way that Kevin sort of wrote these monotonous scenes. Well, one monotonous scene, but I really like the way that he structured it because everything that he set up early on in the film pays off to great effect in this third final act here. Yeah, it does. It definitely does. So we're still in the, the final act. That was just kind of the first half. Sydney and Debbie Salt or Mrs. Loomis, they, they, they kind of struggle. And then a gunshot. We hear a gunshot <laughs> and it's Cotton. And Cotton is holding a gun pointed at both of them. And Debbie has grabs, um, I want to call her Nev. I keep because Nev to Sydney. Grabs it's Sydney. Nev. She's Nev. Yeah. Yeah. But it's Sydney. Um, and she has a knife in uh, Sydney's neck. She's standing behind her. Uh, Sydney's in front of her. She's got a knife to her neck or to her throat. And Cotton says, Cotton doesn't know what to do because Debbie keeps like whispering shit in his ear. Oh, she made, she sent you to, a pres- to prison for a year. Like, don't you, don't you just want to fucking kill her? Like she didn't say that, but that's what she means. Don't you just want to kill her? And Cotton has no fucking clue what to do. And 
Cotton, you know, Sydney's like, don't listen to her, don't listen to her. And then I love this line of dialogue. Cotton just looks at Sydney and he says, I bet that Diane Sawyer interview is looking pretty good right now. Oh, it's great. And there's, and there's a beat. She just And goes. then Sydney says, consider it done. <laughs> and Cotton just, Cotton shoots Debbie. Just right, doesn't even hesitate. Fucking shoots her. He just wants this interview so fucking bad. Oh my God, I'm sorry. And then, and then Gail emerges, shot. Scares the shit out of everybody. <laughs> and, and, and it's so funny because Cotton's like, fuck, Gail, you just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> so she's shot, but she's all right. And Gail says, is she dead? And Sydney says, I don't know. They always come back. And so we're, look- we're looking at Debbie. And then in the background, Mickey emerges. So you're not even expecting it. You're like, oh, yeah, nope. Mickey. Because Mickey fucking was killed fucking 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and then they turn around, they just shoot him and he dies. And then Sydney shoots Debbie in the head and she says, just in case. <laughs> yeah. So before I go to the last scene of the movie, what say you? I absolutely love how Debbie Metcalf plays... Sydney against Cotton in this scene because the look of insanity and out of controlness in in Debbie Metcalf's face is so phenomenal. She's sweating, she's lost all composure, and she's just ranting and raving like a madwoman, like she should. But here's the thing. Look, and and this is not a problem with this movie, but this is a general problem with a lot of slasher movies. In all the slasher movies of all time, the killer starts monologuing and it gives the hero an opportunity to think of something or to escape. And I'm like, if you really fucking want to kill this person, why fucking monologue? Why not just walk up to them and shoot them in the face? If you do that, you win. But because yeah, but you monologue. there's no movie. Yes. I know. I, but I was going to get there. See? Now I don't want to get there. Damn it. <laughs> You're too slow. Hurry up. Hurry the fuck up. Just get there. 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 Look, look, okay. Of all, look, of all the amazing lines in this movie, the the line where, the line when Cotton says, I bet that Diane Sawyer movie, uh, I bet that Diane Sawyer interview is looking good now. And then, you know, there's a long beat and Sydney just says, consider it done. And Cotton shoots Mrs. Loomis in, in the head. I was like, that? is fucking perfect that is that is possibly i know it's going to sound sacrilegious but that's possibly one of my favorite moments in the entire film oh 100%, 100%. i just i just i just love that moment love of it. sydney going all right i'll do it can you just save my life now yeah 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 exactly um uh, i love the whole the that whole third act is um beautiful it worked it wasn't sometimes in third acts what writers do is <laughs> They stretch it out. And they lose it a little bit. They lose it. Yeah, they lose it. And it ends up being quite boring and quite overdrawn. And there's over, there's too much dialogue or there's too much action or there's too much. You know what I mean? And they lose it, which is why third acts of movies bore the shit out of me a lot of the time. Because they don't really know what to do because they have to stretch it out. Third act has to be 20, 30 minutes. And it's hard to do that. So if you're, not a, if you're not a good writer, it's, it's hard to do that to keep people's interest. But this was very, very interesting. There was nothing about it where I went, oh, hurry up and end. Like it was, it was good, obviously, because it's Kevin. It's great. Yeah, um, his, uh, just, just real quick here before mm-hmm. uh, we move on to your trivia. The way that Kevin, you know, constructed the third act was very, very tight. He told us things that we needed to, he told us things that we needed to know. But he, the other thing that he didn't do is that he didn't overstay his welcome. And mm-hmm. that whole thing with Gail coming out first was a, <laughs> was a stroke of genius because the first mm-hmm. time, 
I saw this movie, I was like, fuck no. Yeah, Don't yeah, do yeah. this. Yeah, I'm like, how could you do this to me? Yeah, no, no. It's fucking Gail. It's fucking Monica from Friends. Well, it's Gail. But how could you do this to me? I know. But uh, I know. again, again, so many things about this movie work so well from a writing point and a directing point. Yes, so we got one more scene, which is the last scene uh-huh. to wrap it, wrapping it up, and uh, we're outside the the camp, the the theater hall, <laughs> and there's an ambulance, and we see Dewey being wheeled out, and he's alive! Yay, he's alive! And <laughs> it's 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 actually quite it's quite good because Joel comes back, as you said before, he comes back and he's like, "All right, we're rolling." Gives her the microphone, "Your gal weathers." And normally she'd be like, all right, cool. I'm bloodied up. I've been through something. I'm going to do it. As soon as she spots Dewey, she just fucking drops the microphone and gets in the ambulance. I'm coming with you. Huge turnaround. She's just like, nah, fuck this. Fuck my career. I'm going with Dewey. I love that. Because even right at the end, you've got character development happening within Gale. I loved it. So... Uh, the reporters are swarming around Sydney. Tell us what happened. What's it like to be a hero? And Cotton's walking off and nobody cares about Cotton. No, everybody just cares about Sydney. And she sees this and she knows he wants fame. She doesn't want it. So she says, talk to Cotton. He's the real hero. And he looks at her with this, with this, he gives her like a, a, a smile, but it's just like a, like a nod, like, thank you. Thank you. Right. And all the, they all swarm to him and he's like, look, there's a time and a price for everything. He gives them his business card and he, <laughs> the last line in true cotton fashion and the last line of the movie. Again, the dialogue in this movie is really great. The last line is, I'll tell you one thing, it'll make it one hell of a movie. And that's oh, it. So good. That's the end. It's, it's perfect. It's just perfect in every single way. So what say you about that last little snippet? Yeah, the last little snippet is wonderful for two reasons. Number one, because again, Kevin, the one thing that Kevin does wonderfully in this movie, and I'm not going to, whatever you say, you're not going to stop me from saying this, but every character that he, every main character of the Scream franchise grows in this movie from their previous uh, uh, incarnation in the original film. And and one of the characters that, that grows a lot is Gail, because Gail really learns to separate her career from her personal life in this movie, I thought. And the way that she learns to do that is her relationship with Dewey. Like you mentioned, um, out there, when when they come out of the theater, the press is everywhere. Gail's cameraman comes back. He hands a microphone to Gail. But instead of doing the report, she goes to see, she goes to tend to Dewey. And it's really cool how Kevin explained how Dewey survived yet again. He survived because of scar tissue. I thought that was a, I thought that was a good explanation. And the fact that uh, we, uh, and the fact that we had that moment between Cotton and Sydney, and that sort of moment of recognition and that sort of moment of understanding where Cotton just goes, thank you for a moment. And he just kind of nods. And like you said, Sydney walks away and then, you know, uh, there's that great line at the end of the movie. It's just, it's just so wonderfully done, directed, and it's just so great. I mean, I don't know what, I don't know what else to say about how much I love, uh, about how much I love this film. Yeah, I think I love, I love how Gail grows. And the only reason she grows is because of her love for Dewey. So yep. basically love is what, 
pull, I don't want to be sentimental, but love is what pulls her out of her false identity as a person. It's what it it is what propels her to grow. Love, mm-hmm. and I love that. It's not said, but you can see it. You can see, yeah, it. and yeah, and also, also the wonderful thing that Kevin does throughout this throughout this amazing franchise is that with each film, Sydney becomes more of a badass as this as the as the series goes along, and by the time. That that movie that we want to mention comes around. Sydney is basically like Sarah Connor. Mm. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, oh, by the way, I researched it. Gail Weathers in the first movie was a fame-hungry journalist that worked for a local radio, uh, local um, news station. That's oh, okay, 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 okay. I was wrong. I know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I just needed evidence to back it up. Yeah, it's, it's okay. It's okay. Well. it's okay. It's okay. Shall I get All to right. my trivia? Yes, go, go, go. Okay. So the okay. first trivia is um, the cast weren't told who the killer was until the last day of filming. They oh, didn't even. Be... They didn't even get the last ten pages of the script until it was time to shoot, which was at the end of filming. Isn't that funny? <laughs> wow, that, that that's really frustrating. So frustrating, but they didn't want it to get leaked. That was the problem. No, but no, but I'm 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 sorry. Just real quick, didn't yeah. didn't Kev, didn't Kevin write like three different versions of the script because he was worried about leaks? Uh, I think yes. I think he did that for Scream Three. I think that was Scream Three. Don't hold me on that. I don't know. Okay. I don't know. But okay. I did hear that. Yes, he did do that. Mm. But I don't know if it was for Scream Two. Um. Okay. So the next one. Um. <laughs> I don't know how this would have gone. Various titles were considered. So the titles that were considered for Scream 2 were Scream Again. No. Scream, Scream Louder. No. <laughs> and Scream the Sequel. No. What the? F- who the fuck? Scream God Louder? That sounds it. like a porn movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They- fuck. Oh, my God. That's awful. That's so bad. Um. Well, where's Craven? Because, okay, I don't know if people know this. When they make a movie in Hollywood, they have to submit it to the rating system and the ratings yep. people, the they put a ra- yeah, yeah, they put a rating on it. Wes Craven submitted eight different cuts before it was passed. What? Yeah, because they Get said the it was too bad because they here. kept giving it an R rating. And he's like, no, well, no. <laughs> no, wait, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. They, 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 must, have been, they must have gave it an NC-17 because the R rating is what they wanted. Is what they would yeah. want. Yeah, and but, N- they, N- but they weren't yeah. satisfied. Yeah, and NC-17 is mm. not what they want because NC-17 nowadays is basically like the kiss of death. <clears throat> yes, yes, exactly. Eight different... I would have. I would love to see his other cuts. That is that is that is unbelievable because I mean I mean I mean I mean I mean, I mean we're gonna we're gonna wrap up here in in a, just a just a few minutes, but mm. um, I remember Wes Craven having a problem with the rating board. For just the opening scene of Scream, yeah. the original oh, yeah. Scream, with yeah. with Casey hanging from the tree. Yep, yep. I remember that too. Yeah, that that's amazing. Eight and it's so funny. Cuts. There's 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 far worse in other horror movies. Like really. Yeah. yeah. So I mean, annoying. yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean. Where, where was it? Where was the MPAA when Johnny Depp was being sucked through his bed, and the and the thing of blood just came out, come bumping out like a damn faucet. Well, where was the MPAA when the human centipede was being made? I fucking ask you. <laughs> okay? Because yeah. that's some serious shit. <laughs> but that's that that's absolutely crazy. Eight oh my Isn't god. Isn't it? I don't know. Wow. Um, it took seven weeks to film. 
Oh, that's not oh, well. bad. And okay. Nev Campbell was filming Party of Five at the same time she was filming Scream 2. So what she would do is on Mondays and Tuesdays, I think Mondays, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, she was on Party of Five. And then Thursdays to Sundays, she was on Scream. She did not have a day off. And she kept, oh she didn't even sleep. Oh, wow. So, so she, <laughs> she did didn't a, sleep so, Yeah, so she did a similar schedule to uh, to Michael J. Fox when he was on um, Family Ties. Because when Michael J. Fox was on Family Ties, what he would do is he would shoot episodes of Family Ties in the day and mm-hmm. shoot Back to the Future at night. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay, so uh, yeah, it's we, similar, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is, that's crazy. And by the way, I just want to mention, just, just I want to just put in this one little note before huh. you go on to your final piece of trivia or continue yeah. trivia. A lot of people, when they say, what, who's your favorite screen queen? A lot of people go, my favorite screen queen is... Um, is um oh, what, oh my Jamie God. Lee Curtis. Thank you, Jamie Lee Curtis. Thank you so much. Mm. Uh, my scream scream queen forever and always will be Nep Campbell. I don't care. Oh yeah, Sydney. What Prescott you say? Always. It's it's yeah. Sydney Prescott oh, until yeah. the day that I am buried into the ground. Yeah, but um, they, you know, you know, you know, that's no disrespect to uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, but just for me personally. Yeah, me too. Um, last piece of trivia: Toby Maguire was offered the role of Mickey. Get out of here! What? Spider Spider Man playing a psycho killer. <laughs> you know what? Crazy. You know what right? That you know what that would have been interesting, but that oh my interesting. god, that would have been interesting. Yeah. Um. If there's nothing else, I'm gonna wrap the fuck up. Wrap it up. All right, guys. Thank you so much for joining us in this very, very long, very fucking long. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> uh, review of Scream 2 but we both love it so much that we could just could not stop talking about it if you want to email us about anything you can email us at the mixtapepod at aol.com you can listen to us on YouTube you can listen to us on Spotify you can listen to us on Apple iTunes you can listen to us on any podca- podcast see I've talked so much you know my vocabulary has gone out the fucking window any podcast platform that you like up next week we have 1991's fuck that's that seems like a long time ago that's 31 years ago fuck me what 1991's Robin Hood Prince of Thieves which is my per- this was my oh, pick it's so my good. personal favorite I Robin cannot- Hood uh Kevin Costner Alan Rickman uh it's just I love it I haven't seen it in a long time but I, I cannot- think do you love it Yes actually actually I I I own this movie do you own it? Oh, cool! Yeah, I do. Awesome. <laughs> um, That's awesome. I, I mean, I mean, I am so excited to talk about this because, guys, Alan Rick, just just a quick preview for next for the next episode. Alan Rickman in this movie is a fucking boss. Oh, boss, and I, yeah. I, I just can't, <laughs> I, I, I just can't wait to get to it. There's so many good things to talk about. I know. I, I, the best, it's just, yeah, I just love this Robin Hood movie. Anyway, that's next week. If you want to come join us, I hope you do. And remember. If someone is kind enough to make you a mixtape, that must mean that they really love you. The Mixtape Podcast is a Balloonhead Productions presentation.